happening. Seeing Red, the pod, episode 30, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today is my co-host, Melody. Hey, Melody. How's it going? Uh, did you just say episode 30? 30. What? Oh, my goodness. This is that real. is nuts. How have we done 30 episodes? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I feel like we need to have a party or something, like a dirty 30 party or something. How about everybody um, make 30 phone calls to get someone cool elected? Right. Maybe Cara Eastman, who we're talking to today. (laughs) Everybody make 30 phone calls to Cara Eastman's campaign to celebrate the Dirty 30 Seeing Red episode. Right. (laughs) Or 300, whatever works. Yeah, or 300 calls. Yes. Yeah. That would be also fine. 30 a day. So what have you been up to? Um, well, my birthday's coming up. Uh, Not going to be the dirty 30. Not going to be the dirty 30 or the, you know, 29 that I was for several years. Uh, (laughs) I'll be the big 40 this year. Wow. I know. I'm ready. I'm ready. My 30s were all about like giving my body to others I had like two pregnancies mm-hmm. and then breastfed them both for almost two years apiece that's like six years each right it so almost my whole 30s was like literally creating and sustaining other people's actual life um in the most literal way possible so I'm ready to uh go into my 40s and be a little more independent good so that's my boys take that (laughs) oh my gosh I feel like the little one would he would still breastfeed if I would let him he's three and he wakes up every morning he goes I love you mom I just I really love you mom I love you and like my heart is just it bursts I don't know why they grow up and they just don't keep doing that it's so sweet The littles. Well, I would tell you that 40 won't be that bad, but I turned 40 back in March and it's pretty much been a something ever since. So, um, (laughs) blame the pandemic. So excellent. That's just great. (laughs) So, uh, Melody and podcast listeners, would you like to hear an adventure I had in my life recently? Please. Um, I think I've heard part of the adventure, but I think you should tell our listeners. Um, and I hope there is even more. Well, there feel like a slight development maybe since you've heard last. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, last Friday. So it would be a week ago because we're recording on a Friday. Um, I kept seeing people posting and texting me about how their political yard signs were getting destroyed or stolen. And I was like, sitting in my office thinking well I'm sure mine's fine and I looked real quick on my camera and guess what it was gone my Biden Harris yard sign which I'll be honest in the beginning I put up kind of begrudgingly because of course it wasn't my absolute favorite candidate ever um but it was gone and I was like really disgruntled about it so I looked back and I looked and you know, of course, it was some pickup truck with a guy in a cowboy hat and cowboy boots who got out of his truck drunk at three o'clock in the morning to steal my sign out of my front yard, you know. Oh, uh, hell no. Strangely, that truck looked kind of familiar. So I like looked at my other camera around the same time and 50 seconds after the sign was stolen out of my front yard, that same truck pulled into the back behind my house. I could see it on the back camera. And then they're laughing and carrying on and pull my freaking sign out of their truck and take it inside. Your actual, like, they are so close to your house that your backyard camera can see their backyard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Your yeah, actual yeah. neighbor. 
Okay. Oh yeah. And this is, this is also in full disclosure, my neighbor who had a Trump bumper sticker on his truck. Gross. Which really was upsetting to my seven-year-old daughter because um, for some reason she has a negative um, impression of Trump supporters. I think mostly because of how they behave and their outlook on the world. But um, anyway, so um, I wasn't really sure how to deal with it, but I was uh, pretty upset, mostly because it was my neighbor who stole out of my yard, right? My neighbor. Um, and so I called the police. Police officer came over. He wasn't really too happy to be dealing with me. I could almost instantly um, tell what his political affiliation was, which should not be the case. Um, anyway, I showed him the video. He had me put it on a flash drive, all these things. And then he went over to said neighbor's house and the guy comes out. They're like chatting. The cop like takes off his mask and is what? chatting with this dude. Oh, oh yeah. that is not, that is not appropriate because you know, whether or not the police cares about their own personal safety in that moment, yeah. um, the police flit around the whole city interacting with all kinds of people and nobody's calling the police that is like right. having a good day. Right. You know? Right. And I, and, you know, I let the police officer know from the get go that I knew that he, the Lincoln police department and the city of Lincoln were committed and would spare no expense to get down to the bottom of whatever happened to my sign. Um, well, listeners, I'm sure all of you remember somebody put googly eyes on a Jeff Fortenberry sign in 2018 and they went through a whole crime scene investigation they fingerprinted the tape mm -hmm. and they did everything they spent god knows how much money to um investigate a congressman's sign getting a sticker on it of googly eyes yeah. on his face so so yes i'm sure did they take it very seriously no. That your sign was stolen? Uh, no. Really? Um, but the the neighbor, he admitted to it. He got the sign out of his house, which I don't know if he was just like fawning over it or what was going on, why he kept it and then put it in his home. Um, I would never steal somebody's Trump sign, but I guarantee if I did, it would not make it into my house. Definitely no. not my living room. Um, anyway, so he was given a ticket and then he wanted to like apologize to me, but I made it like very clear to him that I was upset because he was my neighbor and that he stole my neighbor stole from my home where I raised my children, my safe place, you know? Anyway, I think I kind of upset him. I asked him point blank what kind of a person he wanted to be. Um, and about, an hour after the cop left, um, I went outside and his Trump bumper sticker, he took it off of his truck, you guys. <gasps> you mommed him. You mommed him so hard. Yeah, well, I thought that's what happened until I went outside today and there's like a Blue Lives Matter bumper sticker on his truck. So not hard <sighs> enough. Right. I mean, and the thing is, like, of course... Like the lives of police officers matter. The lives of everyone in our community, of course right, they freaking right. matter. But if you're putting that on your vehicle, like what you what you are actually communicating to people that don't know you is that you think that police lives matter more than justice for those they're serving. You know what? Police and lives that's matter. Gross. So much to me that I want safe storage so that what happened to officer Herrera or investigator Herrera doesn't happen again in the future. No doubt. Lock up your guns, people. If you right. have guns, lock them up and do not give your parents and your grandparents a freaking pass. Don't right. let your kids go to places where people don't lock up their guns. Right. Like make it a community norm. Also don't hang out with people who don't wear masks. Right. Did you hear about, what is it out in Gretna? Where they don't, they had a 200 person COVID homecoming and now it's a super spreader. What is, I mean, I understand I, like I sure hope nobody's grandma dies. Yeah, I hope that was worth it. Like, what are you teaching your children that they, they are so special that they have to have a prom while people can't have literal fucking funerals? Right. 
But your kids' homecoming is so special. Fuck off, Gretna. What is even happening? I can understand like one parent going, America, freedom. You know, there's always one, sure. But then like 200 other families were like, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. We're in. What is wrong with people? Right. I mean, this is the same place where the whole town like covered up who bought alcohol for um, a rager that happened um, last year and four kids died. Like their decisions actually killed people and nobody, nobody would rat out the adult who bought the booze. I mean, I don't know what's going on in Gretna. That's a hot mess. Mm -hmm. Gretna. I I would, I would. I would go as far as saying this whole country is a hot mess right now, but. Oh, just... I just couldn't. I was just so shocked about the homecoming where I'm like, no, like as a community, you already lost lives of children due to an adult making poor choices. And like now we're in a pandemic and you're like, we're going to just keep going down that trail. We're good. We're going to put our kids right in um, danger. We're just going to keep on keeping on around here. Like what is going on? I just, I just don't think this is. What is, is it the Trump effect? Is it, I just, I, think it's, I don't understand. People I, are very entitled. I mean, why don't people recycle or make, you know? Well, I understand why people don't. It's not convenient and it doesn't fit their expectations. We have like real weird expectations about, about life. I mean, I do understand when people don't recycle because there is some like wishy-washy, like it's not clear that a lot of things that are recyclable actually can be recycled. And, you know, if your community doesn't have recycle, like that one, I I do kind of get like, I do kind of get that one. Um, Even though everybody should be recycling aluminum cans because it's the easiest damn thing to recycle. Um, But I I do, I kind of get that one, but this, I just don't sending your kids to a COVID homecoming. I just, I don't want today in Lancaster County in front of the County building, there were people outside without masks, like walking up to people to try to pray with them. You know what? If you want to like evangelize to people going into court, whatever, it's a public sidewalk. I I don't know. I don't know, but put on a mask, put on a mask. I just, Put on a mask. I can't, I can't stand it. I just don't understand. I'm so angry. And I just, I, I'm so angry at these people. And I don't understand why they are so willfully causing harm to others and why they are so selfish. I don't understand. But all right, you know what? Let's do something that's more fun than this conversation. Because uh, <laughs> this conversation sucks. Let's. <laughs> Let's bring on Kara Eastman because I am really excited to learn more about her. Me too. All right. Bring her on, Stephanie. I'm really excited because today we have Kara Eastman with us and she's running for the second congressional district House of Representatives position for Congress. Hi, Kara. How's it going? Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. We are thrilled to have you. You are actually um, the very first candidate we've ever had on the podcast. Wow, what an honor. Thank you. You're welcome. We usually bring on people that are leading movements and organizations and like doing work that is advocacy and issue based that we think resonates with um, politics from the left, I guess, the general progressive movement. And we think that your campaign represents that same kind of work. Um, And so we wanted to talk to you and give you a chance to just explain to people kind of who you are and what you stand for and what, maybe even just a little bit about how politics works. Um, You know, you have a insider's view into a world that a lot of people don't have a view into. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, so I am a social worker by trade. I have a master's degree in clinical social work, and I've spent over 20 years in mission-based nonprofit organizations, started a domestic violence program with a police department, uh, started a national volunteer program for people with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, 
ran a homeless shelter and transitional housing program for a while. And then when we moved to Omaha in 2006, I started Omaha Healthy Kids Alliance, which is a children's environmental health organization. So I have been working to help people and uh, which also ends up having the effect of saving some money for families and also for the government, <laughs> seeing firsthand where government programs succeed and where they fail. And uh, I'm proud of my, my background. I'm proud of the work that I've done. And, and my worldview is, is shaped by the clients that I've had the honor of serving for over 20 years. I've served on the Board of Governors of Metropolitan Community College, which is an elected position, because I love Metro. I think it's a great institution that we have here in Omaha. And uh, served on some boards and was appointed to the Mayor's Fair Housing Board. So I, I really care about my community. I love my community and I wanna see it do better. And uh, what I've learned in, in running for Congress and is, is that we have a really broken system. And people say that and they, they think it, but I, I can tell you firsthand it is broken. And this is how. So right now, the way our political system works is that politicians get money from wealthy donors, from big corporations and their political PACs, and then they pass legislation that benefits those donors. And it is a corrupt system that benefits the very wealthy and special interests over the rest of us. And so I set out on a path to figure out why my mother might be prescribed a $2,500 pill. And I learned that this is the broken system, that politicians like my opponent get hundreds of thousands of dollars from pharmaceutical companies, from insurance companies, and then pass legislation that benefits the shareholders of those corporations, while the rest of us get screwed because we can't afford $2,500 for a pill or a 57% increase in our in our prescriptions during a pandemic or $11,000 a month that I talked to one family, they're paying $11,000 a month for their kids' medication. So it is time, it is well past time that we have a system that works for everybody. And it is why I have rejected corporate PAC money in my campaign. I believe it's the first step to telling people I'm going to represent them. That is fantastic. That so about so one of the things about healthcare is there is this buzzword that goes around Medicare for all, which I believe you're in support of. Um, what is that? What does that mean? Because if we just look at what people who don't want people to be healthy and strong uh, say, it sounds like it is a program designed to hurt American families. Um, so can you kind of give a, just a, what is it? What is that program? Well, Medicare for all means a lot of things to different people. And so that's one of the things we learned in 2018 was, um, and so we've been, I, I've tried to be clear about what I support and, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. And, and so, so when people hear Medicare for all, some people think single payer, some people think universal healthcare, some people think, uh, you know, uh, uh, think about a specific bill or a policy that they heard a politician talk about. And a, num a number of people say, well, Medicare has its problems. Look at your mom. She was prescribed a pill that she couldn't afford when she had Medicare. So there's a bill in Congress that I like that was, co that was sponsored by Pramila Jayapal, a congresswoman from Washington State, that uh, it's, it's H.R. 1384. And it, what it does is it expands health care and it eliminates the the unbelievable co-pays, premiums, deductibles, and out-of-pocket costs that Americans are drowning in right now, paying up to $12,000 a year, a year per person for. It provides choice, choice in your provider, which we don't have right now with the in-network, out-of-network thing. It fixes Medicare. It, it uh, provides long-term care, vision, dental, hearing, things that as, as we, you know, as our, as our parents age, as we age, things that we are all concerned about. And it creates a system where everyone has healthcare. And there's been so much misinformation put out about this to people. Um, and it has come from Republicans who don't want anything like this because it doesn't benefit their wealthy donors. It doesn't benefit these corporate PACs that fund them. And frankly, there's been misinformation put out by Democrats too. 
But uh, I've talked to enough economists, I've looked at enough studies, and the thing I like about it, maybe even the most, as somebody who wants to run the federal government or help run it, is that it saves money for the federal government. It's projected to save over $2 trillion in the, over a decade. That's a significant savings in what we're already spending. And when we spend more on GDP on healthcare than any other industrialized nation, and when we're the only industrialized nation that does not provide universal healthcare, and when the no voters in Nebraska voted to expand Medicaid in 2018, and my opponent was against it, and our governor was against it, and even blocked it until this year, people are looking for healthcare. They, they want healthcare. And uh, they, they're, they want something, you know, and, and they're, they're, the misinformation is designed to scare people. Uh, mm -hmm. the, you know, people talk about, oh, we'll have long lines. Well, first of all, we know that from a whistleblower that that was, a st that was prove it, disproven. And we have lines here. My mother had to wait three months to get her last surgery. My daughter had to wait a couple of months to get a knee surgery last, uh, during the election last time. Everything's measured in elections these days in our family. <laughs> That's not surprising. It's not healthy. But uh, so, I mean, we have some, I mean, people have to wait sometimes for healthcare, but we also know that we have a deficit in resources. We need more doctors. We need more nurses. We need more rural hospitals. Uh, we, there are places that are, you know, healthcare deserts in our community where it takes a while to get to a clinic or a hospital. So it's a broken system that needs to be fixed. And I want to go to Congress to fix it. I, it's not about ideology for me. It's about actually rolling up my sleeves and fixing the problem. Yeah, I think that's um, when people are thinking about those political buzzwords, you know, the same like there's the Green New Deal. That's the other big political buzzword, right? And so when we're thinking about what we should do for healthcare, I think something that people don't always realize Healthcare is a for-profit billion-dollar industry. The reason it is so expensive is because we let it be a for-profit billion-dollar industry that you cannot opt out of. You are not allowed to opt out of it. You could either uh, die from your sickness or minor infections or childbirth. You might die anyway. Um, you know, if you're a black woman in childbirth, our maternal death rates uh, are terrible, but you can't opt out of this for-profit system and billionaires are living the high life off of the sick and the weak. It's such a problem. And big ideas, you know, like maybe your big idea won't happen when you get to Congress, um, but you're there for actual real reform. And what we know is since the Republicans have been in power for the last four years, we've had zero. They actually rolled everything back. They had no plan. It's not that they have a different plan. There's no plan. There's zero plan. So whether or not people like your plan, I would strongly argue you have a plan. And that's a major difference. Well, and we have to give people something to vote for, not just something to vote. Yeah. And my opponent has voted five times to take away health care from Nebraskans without a plan to replace it. The other day in a debate, he made mention of some part of a plan that he might have, but he said something about Nebraskans ha would have to go to Iowa to get their health care. What? What? No. Explain that to me. Uh, so it's also Nebraska goes all the way to Colorado. Does he know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think people, in, I don't think people in uh, North Platte are going to Iowa for anything. No. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he thinks uh, Omaha is the whole state, and you know that it's not. Um, Stephanie, do you have any questions for Carl? Uh, I have lots of questions, but um, I'll start with, can you tell us a little bit about the second congressional district geographically, you know, just some things about the district uh, for maybe some of our listeners who aren't as familiar? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so the second district, so, you know, Nebraska has three congressional districts. The second is Omaha and the county that we're in, Douglas County, and then a bit of the county to the south of us, uh, part of Sarpy County. So off at Air Force Base, for example, is not in the second congressional district, although Don Bagan talks about it a lot. And uh, so it's, we're an interesting district. We are 98% urban suburban. It's a diverse district. We're about 13% African-American, 11% Latino. We have a large uh, refugee population, people from South Sudan, people from Somalia. 
and it is uh, it is a diverse district, despite what people naturally think of when they think of Nebraska. And it's also uh, it's interesting because we gave an electoral college vote to Barack Obama in two thousand and eight. And the Republican advantage in the district has shrunk significantly, where we're almost tied at this point between Republican and Democrat, and about a quarter of the district are registered independents. What do you think that is? What are what do you think independents are looking for when they vote? I mean, I know they're not all one stripe, right? But like, you know, they're just almost like a third party at this point. There's so many of them. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, some people are independents because they're disgusted with both parties. Shocking. Uh, they Or they're independent because of their job and they feel like they don't want to align themselves with a party. Some people feel like it's that word, like it means I'm independent. <laughs> um, but, but they have a political leaning usually and we've been doing our best to reach out to as many independents as possible. We started by knocking doors of independence when we could in, for this campaign. And what we heard at the doors was that the for independents in the district, around the whole district, that their number one priority was getting Donald Trump out of office. Um, and we feel like because of our efforts, in, you know, in part, uh, independents requested Democratic ballots two to one over Republican ballots in the primary. And we anticipate that we will see a similar thing for this general election. So one of the causes that is near and dear to my heart is eliminating gun violence and holding the gun industry responsible for the harm that they cause. There is a federal law. It's called the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. It's often shorthanded as PLACA. Um, and it gives gun manufacturers, the entire industry, total immunity, which means they do things like they don't have to pay um fair insurance rates because they can never be held accountable in court. And they, um, like they're one of the families that was, they lost a daughter in the Batman shooting in Colorado. They tried to sue the online arms dealer to say, whoa, why did you sell this guy a military level amount of product when you've never worked with him ever? You did no diligence. Um, and they were able to counter sue and they bankrupted the grieving families. Um, would you be in support of repealing PLACA and holding the gun industry accountable for the harm that they cause? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what just to start off, I mean, I, this uh, this issue always gets painted as Democrats are against the Second Amendment, and, and that's not true, right? Like nobody, no, we're not talking about violating an amendment to the Constitution, but we are talking about fences, right? That there are fences around items in the constitution. You can't, you can't jump on a plane and, or hop on a plane and yell that you have a bomb. You can't own a tank. So we can, we can have fences without violating rights. And, but also it's, you know, the, the Republicans and the NRA and the gun lobby have done such a good job of kind of forming this coalition and then protecting people, gun manufacturers over people who get harmed. And to me, we need to reverse that. And we need common sense gun safety. There are so many solutions out there to this problem. We just need to have people in office and have the political will to change things and to stand up to the gun lobby. I mean, my opponent takes a lot of money from the NRA. He's got like an A plus rating. I have an F rating. I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> when I ran for office, I also got an F rating. And I was yeah. really proud. It's a badge of honor for sure. It really is. Right, because it says to me that I, as a mom in particular, that I don't want anybody's child to get gunned down in school. And that, you know, when I, I think back to the Parkland shooting and my daughter was came to me and said she was afraid to go back to school, she went to Central. Um, I'd never heard that before. I'd never heard that from her, that she was afraid to go to Central High School. And no kid should feel like that. And no parent should be worried about these kinds of things. And it shouldn't take a pandemic. Mm -hmm to assault gun violence in schools in our country. Um, right. Right. Um, the one thing I would say, and I just, I have to say this because, uh, uh, you know, this is like, um, this is my issue, but there is a background check in Congress that the Democrats are supporting and we don't like it because it gives additional protect, it gives additional tools to ICE as through the background check system. 
and we think ICE is causing harm to uh, families all across the country, including in Nebraska, where we actually had a child die in our custody in Omaha and nobody knew about it for a year. So if you go to Congress, well, when you go to Congress, just know we'll be having phone calls about that. (laughs) That's good. And I mean, and and so this is where uh, one, my opponent and Donald Trump, so Donald Bacon, Donald Trump, they are against background checks, universal background checks that 89% of Americans support. Yeah, and, that's just the basics. Yeah. Right. And my, my brother, who is an interpreter for the federal court system, has dealt with ICE for years. And, what he t- and he started telling me about the policy changes that he saw when Trump got elected. And he, it, didn't get, um, it didn't get published in the media until like the family separation stuff started happening. But he was seeing this early on problem is the Trump administration. <laughs> and we have to vote Donald Trump out of office if we're going to see positive change in this country right now when it comes to immigration, when it comes to gun safety, and when it comes, frankly, to the safety of our country in general. Yeah. And I mean, I know that we have seen terrible, we've seen terrible treatment of immigrants under all administrations, both parties. Um, so I don't put it all at Trump's feet, but he has made what was not good. He has made it actually, um, you know, he's turned it into concentration camp level uh, immigration policy. And we now have political will to change things, which is, you know, politicians need. They need people out in the field demanding, you know, good policy. Um and we have that now, but we're not actually going to make any changes if we don't elect people who give a shit and are willing to make changes. Yeah, and aren't beholden to big money of some sort or another. That's right. right? That is absolutely true. So, Kara, can you tell me if you had one or two big issues, I think I might know what they are, that you really are going to focus on um, starting next January? Well, anybody running has got to focus on getting our economy back on track, getting people back to work safely, getting kids back at school. I mean, we have to have the COVID response has to be priority one. We Lives are at stake. Jobs are at stake. People are facing evictions. Landlords are facing, like, what do we do? Um, you know, small businesses are about to go under like we've never seen before. And we're jeopardizing a lot of human lives. Uh, and it's it's become political and it should never have been from the beginning. So that has to be priority one. Um, and, and, and actually surpasses anything that I else that I want to do. But I mean, my priorities have and will continue to be healthcare, fixing our broken healthcare system and getting money out of politics and, and fixing those fundamental threats to our democracy, ending gerrymandering, uh, making sure that we end voter suppression, that we have fair, you know, fair elections, that we protect the sanctity of our elections and, and that we start actually working in a system where big dark money doesn't govern how political campaigns are run. What do you think are some solutions to getting money out of politics? And just, I want to like, Don Klein has been in the news uh, recently, and he was the prosecutor who chose not to press charges against the man who murdered James Scurlock. And when he, he's been in, that's an elected position. He has been raising money for however long he's had that seat, a decade more. Um, he has 20, almost $21,000 as of December, 2019. That was just sitting in this election camp account and maybe he'll run for reelection and maybe he won't. And I don't think a lot of people know that politicians can do whatever they want with that money that you give them. So they can use it for their own races, but then they can just like spread it around and give it to other candidates. So, and now he has switched parties. So he might be giving his money to Republican causes. Don't know. So that's just a really local, like state example. Any candidate can do that in Nebraska. Um, that's he's that's he's not even special that he just has a bunch of big pile of money sitting there. But I just wanted to give people context for what we mean, like money in politics. That's just a really local example. What do you think is can be done? What are some solutions that the federal government could take? Well, and and I've now seen this firsthand that that when you decide to run for Congress. Uh, the first thing that people say to you is like, how much money can you raise? Open up your Rolodex. What's a Rolodex? But, um, and, <laughs> uh, you know, reach out to your friends and family and get them to give you the maximum contribution, which is $2,800, by the way. And, uh, you know, and, and so as somebody who come, came from the nonprofit sector, my husband's in academia, I, I did that. I reached out to our friends. They, they gave us 
50, $25 because that's what they could afford. And I'm really grateful for that, but that's not what they mean. And, and so it's, it's hard when the measure of worth for a candidate is like, how much money can you raise? And Mm -hmm. I, I, we've raised a lot of money for this race, but in the middle of this pandemic, it feels even heavier where that money could be going for great things, not just TV ads, not just mail. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm proud that we invest in a people powered campaign, but the majority of the money goes for ads and, uh, and, and mail. So there's a, there's a different way to do this. Uh, we could have publicly financed campaigns. I, my opponent likes to talk about like forcing taxpayers to use their dollars. Like, no, we're not forcing things. Taxpayer money goes to fund campaigns right now. Uh, so, but it's outrageous amounts. Look at how much we're spending. And this is, this, my race is a very expensive race. And, and we're actually only one media market. Uh, in Iowa, Teresa Greenfield I mean, like, I think it's going to be $65 million. I mean, that's crazy. Like she should be elected for sure. But there's a, there's a better way to do this. And, and then there's the whole dark money side that, you know, Citizens United helped to create. And, and I, you know, I'm not that ideological that I think that, that Citizens United can be overturned right now, but we should at least be fighting to end corruption in politics and looking at different ways to do this. There are a number of proposals out there. There are cities and states that are piloting ideas. Um, and, and I think all of those things need to be looked at because it's, it's just gotten out of control and, and the donors are sick of it too. I mean, I, you know, as a, as a, as somebody running as, and even as a member of Congress, you're expected to raise a lot of money. And it's, it's not how we should want our candidates spending their time. And it's not how we should want our representatives spending their time. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I'd prefer our representatives be focused on what's in the best interests of their constituents and not, you know, as soon as they get elected, focusing all their time on raising enough money so two years later they can get elected again. Right, right. Well, our average donation in our campaign is about $15. And I call people who give me $15 to thank them. I I, I don't treat the, the well, the, you know, the people who have given more any different than I treat anybody else. Um, and, and that make that takes a lot of time. And it's it's not how you should want me spending my time. I should be researching. I should be campaigning. I should be, you know, actually figuring out how I'm going to do things in Congress. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Can you talk about, so your biggest driver is the economy. And that makes sense. Um probably the economy is going to get worse as we move forward. Um, All the programs are drying up. Uh, The governor of Nebraska won't give federal food money. We're the only state not doing it. Um, So things are going to get worse. Um, We're going to have more homelessness in the rental sector, which that's, you have a foundation in that. You used to run a homeless nonprofit. Um, And we also have a looming climate crisis, which cannot wait for our economic crisis to subside. So can you weave climate and the economy and just talk about like what you think Congress should be doing over the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, we we need bold investments and, and, and to create a green workforce. And this is actually something I've done locally. I worked to create energy efficient, healthy housing in our community. And what we saw was that it was, it had this impact of creating a, a, a green workforce, creating great paying unionized jobs, actually lowering utility bills for people living in poverty, which as a proportion of their income, they pay a lot more than, than wealthier people and creates a safe and healthy community, safe and healthy housing and increases the tax base for that community. So to me, this is where we start. We have to make this local. These would be, you know, you can't outsource these, this stuff to, to other countries. Like this is local jobs. We could locally producing windows, um, retrofitting houses locally. I mean, this is a great way for us to get the economy back on track. And it's a way to get buy-in from people because Everybody likes this idea of making their home better, making their home more comfortable, and of course, for paying less in utility bills. So we just we need we need a bold plan. And what I've seen from my opponent is that he he talks about these issues and he talks about some wind stuff and some solar stuff. But Nebraska could be a leader in the nation for wind and solar and renewable energy. We should be. 
our farming community has been decimated by flooding because of climate change. And we need to act now. We don't have time to wait. He has a 14% lifetime score from the League of Conservation Voters. And when I point that out, he then goes into some speaking point about how it's a liberal organization. It's a nonprofit that wants to save the planet. Like, come on. Uh, you, have, you have a 14% lifetime score because you're not great on these issues. And you bow to the fossil fuel industry over climate activists who are trying to actually save the planet right now. Well, look at his donor list. Well, I mean, so I want to dig into that a little bit more. Um, So you talked about housing and retrofitting windows, because I think that people think that climate, working on climate means you have to be a scientist and you have to, or like an engineer. And those are the only kind of spaces where you can do climate work. Um, But, you know, you talked about retrofitting houses so that they have energy efficient windows and that would put people to work. That would also improve home values. That would also take a lot of older homes, which I live in an older home. And two years ago when we had that, was it two, three years ago? But when we had that massive freeze, it was unusual. And a pipe burst and I had a swimming pool in my basement because the bottom of the house is not insulated. All the houses could be insulated, you know, and that's a lot of manufacturing jobs we could bring back. That's really, that stuff can't be outsourced. That's trade skilled labor. Um, Are there other things that we can do to push the economy and green it up at the same time? Yeah, I mean, there there are things all over the country that we can be doing, but but to me, it's also about prevention, right? Because if we start making these bold investments, we will the return on investment will be incredible. Look at how much we're spending right now dealing with half the country's on fire. The other half is underwater. I mean, we are spending outrageous amounts of money. Um, You know, when people want to talk about a broken immigration system and you've got people from other countries coming here because of climate disasters in their country. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is where like, we are all interconnected. This is where we actually have to move forward together. And my opponent and Donald Trump supported getting us out of the Paris climate accord. Uh, that's not a good idea. It, there are ways that we need to move forward with bold investments in, in all kinds of stuff. We need to be investing in regenerative farming. We need to make sure that we have access to clean air and water. Uh, this is what we want for our kids, right? It's, it seems fairly simple. Yeah. Stephanie? Yes. I'm getting a little rage talking about all of these things, ladies. Let's talk about something that's a little more fun. Um, What's your favorite candy, Cara? My favorite candy is uh, a York peppermint patty. And the cool thing about it is that it's union made. Did not know that, but I do love York peppermint patties and like keeping them in the freezer. So if you get them at Valentine's Day, I don't know what the difference is with the proportion of chocolate to peppermint inside. They're very tasty. Huh. Did not, did not know that. Um, Okay, so I'm sure like you're probably not uh, reading that much these days, things that are not policy briefs, (laughs) but can you, (laughs) like we have a big like reading library focused uh, listenership. Um, Tell us about a book that you read the last time you were reading or one you're reading now um, that you would recommend. Uh, I'm blanking on the author's name, but uh, it's a book called Big Dirty Money that talks a lot about uh, about white collar crime and the fact that we've got issues with, oh, my husband's so great. He's bringing me the book, Jennifer Taub. Uh, It's Big Dirty Money, the uh, the shocking injustice and unseen cost of white collar crime. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that seemed like a book that given my policy platforms that I should read and- So it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I saw her on MSNBC the other morning and thought I got to read that book, but I think it's, it's also an interesting contrast to like when we talk about law and order, well, when the president talks about it, right. Um, That he means like, like street crime. He's not talking about like the crime that's actually harming millions of Americans when, uh, you know, bankers, lawyers, politicians get to do whatever they want and, and have no consequences. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, speaking of, like consequences. And, you know, we're thinking a lot about uh, law enforcement and like how crimes and who is, who gets in trouble and how much trouble they get in, whether it be violence against their person, incarceration, 
um, death during arrest, all, you know, all the things. What do you think the federal government could do to address some of that? Yeah, I mean, so I was in support of the Justice and Policing Act, which my opponent voted against. And, um, you know, he, he touts his, his relationship with law enforcement, but I've had the opportunity recently to talk to a number of, of police officers who are doing some pretty cool stuff locally, uh, working with a program that I've been getting interested in called PACE, where they're working with young kids in South Omaha, I guess in North Omaha too, engaging them in sports and uh, as a method of, of really engaging in community policing. And so I think that there, that's, uh, it could be a model for the country. I think what they're doing is really cool. Uh, there, there are also other places around the country that are piloting ideas, uh, piloting ending qualified immunity in Colorado or piloting a program called CAHOOTS in Eugene, Oregon, where they've, uh, you know, invested in social work and mental health services. And that's what I've done. I, I, I worked with a police department to create a domestic violence program where I would cold call people who had been victims of domestic violence working with the police department and go and offer court advocacy and counseling. And, and this program that included all kinds of social services with a police department ended up reducing crime in the neighborhood by 90%. So I've seen firsthand where investments in mental health, investments in social work, investments in health um, actually can have a really great impact. So there, there are some things at the federal level that we can do, but this a lot of this is local, but I intend to be you know, to have a seat at this table as we're coming up with solutions that work for Omaha and bringing people together to solve the problem because you need law enforcement at the table for sure, but you also need mental health. You also need activists. You need people in the community who are impacted by this. And we have to address systemic racism at all levels of institutions in our government and especially in, in law enforcement because right now we don't have a criminal justice system in most people's minds. We have a criminal legal system. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love what you said about making sure that the table is big enough for all the stakeholders Mm -hmm. and that you can't just look at one group or, I mean, you have to have everybody, including the people who maybe aren't your friends, especially them, uh, need to be at the table. Well, if we, if we want to actually solve the problem and we need solutions and and we, this isn't a problem that we just like throw some money at or throw one idea at and say, okay, it's fixed. Like this is serious enough that we need serious solutions. That means bringing everyone together to solve it. And, and I think what, 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 frankly, what Donald Trump and, and, and Don Bacon has been complicit with this, what they've done by trying to divide us and saying, this is about one group versus another or people versus law enforcement. That is not true. And, and I think that we need to start, I mean, this is how we start the healing process. One voting Donald Trump out of office to getting me into office and, and actually start bringing people together to heal. So we've got a lot of healing to do as a nation. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have one more question. Well, I have two more questions, but one they're, they're both fast. So um, you have a really large district. Can you tell me about your favorite locally owned places, maybe favorite restaurant or shop, And but you don't have to, I know you probably have lots of favorites, but I do. I, this is a great question. I'd love to answer this question. Um, some of my favorite places in the district are the Blue Line Coffee Shop in Dundee. Um, I love uh, this. Uh, a, there's a Chinese place on like 72nd near our office called Blue and Fly. Great Chinese food. I love Salween Thai. Um, That's one of my favorites. So good. Uh, Culprit, Archetype. We spend a lot of time at coffee shops. I love Hardy. Um, Lubulian and the old market. I actually think they're selling a loaf of bread right now that's called Kara Yeast Man. Um yeah, so we I we spend a lot of time at coffee shops. We there's so many great locally owned independent restaurants in uh in town. There's a new place in North Oak called Best Burger that's great. Um so good. Big fan of Big Mamas. I love Gladys. We, we, we were opponents before, but we've become friends. So, yeah, there's Omaha's great. I mean, the whole district is great. There's there's the Beanery Coffee Coffee Shop in Gretna. That's a cute little place. Um, there's a, there's a place in Papillion. I think it's called Ollie and Hobbs. I mean, there's just so many great restaurants in our in our district. We're really lucky that way. And but we got to keep them going. We got to keep Dario's going. Hmm. True story. 
Stephanie, what was your other question? Um, I know we only have 20 days. Maybe it's 19. How many days, Car? 18. 18. 18. Oh, great. <laughs> Getting closer. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so how can uh, folks help you right now if they're like, I really want to do something. Maybe they're far away. Maybe they don't have uh, money to donate. I know we can always act blue, but what other kinds of things can folks be doing to be helpful for you right now? We, we have a robust phone banking uh, program and would love to have people get involved. You can sign up at eastmanforcongress.com. I also, we also have uh, an endorsement generator that's iendorsecara.com, Cara with a K. And uh, people can go online and create their own endorsement graphic and then put it online and share it. That's a great way. Just following our social media on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, that's helpful. And just making sure people vote, even if you just call three people you know anywhere, even if it's not in this district, just get people out to vote. If we have the numbers, we have the people, if we vote, we will win. Right. I, yeah, it's, um, I think people should know you did not lose by very much when you ran in 2018. It was what, like 10,000 votes ish. It was about 4,945 votes, Melody. Oh yeah. (laughs) And, And how many people did not vote? That were registered voters. It was oh, wow. like a hundred, a hundred grand. Uh, turnout was, I, I think, in the high forties, maybe low. F- oh no, higher, fifty-six, maybe. Uh, yeah. So my husband's over there chiming in, but um, yeah, I mean, we we have far too many people who don't vote, and I get it. I get it. It's hard to feel like your vote counts, especially with the the makeup of the electoral college. It's hard to feel like anything will change, um, and but. But that's a pretty small number. It was one of the closest races in the country. And I'm telling people your vote matters. And yeah. I mean, even here locally, we just had a, a county commission uh, win by three votes, three votes. Uh, there's, you know, th- there's so much at stake right now. So we just got to promote people just getting out and, and exercising their right to vote, voting early if they can and voting safely. Right. And... Okay. I drove by the uh, election commission here in Lincoln and there were literally people wrapped around the building. And I don't know if they were waiting to wow. vote or register to vote. I don't even care what they were doing. I was so excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great site. It's, it's actually one of those things where you think about it and look at it and think, wow, this is, this is America. This is the country we all get to live in. We're very lucky. And, and we have that privilege and that right to vote that, that the more we can exercise, the better. Uh, yeah. And I think people, you know, if you live in Omaha, if you're in the first dist- or second district, you might actually be able to swing a presidential vote. Um, it's a long shot for Lincoln. I know some people have some hopes. But it, it's a long shot. And it's, I'm sorry, third district, you, your presidential vote doesn't count. I'm going to say the dirty thing out loud. It doesn't. Your presidential vote doesn't count if you live out in western Nebraska, if you vote for Biden. Um, but all the other ones do like county commissioner they have multi-million dollar budgets people have no idea how much power they have they don't even know who represents them on those boards um community college yes you were on the metro board how important are community colleges we have public power i mean these are really important um functions of our just governance and it's you know you have to vote you're so important um so aside from voting, which everyone must do, you just must. It's if you say I'm not voting because I just don't think it matters or whatever, blah de blah de blah. You're just probably a white brat. I'm just I'm saying it. You don't have to agree, Cara, but you're probably a white brat. You and I I don't have any time for you. Well, um, well let me let me <laughs> let me add some perspective here. So my the, my field director for my campaign, Fatima, is uh, originally from Mexico. She is a DACA recipient, she's a dreamer. And she was brought to the country when she was about five by her parents, she came here with her little sister. And she has, she's an incredible woman. She has worked as a community organizer. She's gone to school in Nebraska. She's, she's, and now she's working on a, a pretty important congressional race. One of the, probably one of the most watched congressional races in the country. And she is, has worked for four years because she worked on my campaign in 2018 as well. She's been working for four years to get somebody elected, working her butt off 
to get someone elected in a country that does not allow her to vote. Mm -hmm. she, the one thing that she would like right now would be to be able to go out and vote for me. It would fill her with pride and joy and honor like you would never have seen. So if, if you don't feel like your vote counts, if you don't feel like voting is that big of a deal, do it for Fatima because she deserves that. And as do all the dreamers. Yeah, we and we cannot have um, we cannot withstand four more years of Trump. We just can't. We we just can't. It is not. I don't. I we can't. I mean, we we might be able to, but we need to be voting in the best interest of those most vulnerable among us. It's not. I mean, fundamentally, it'll be miserable. But yeah, I mean, I don't think my mental health can take it. So I want to ask you. We've asked people this all summer long. And there's all of this um, political advocacy going on. So people are getting involved in election work. They're getting involved in Black Lives Matter. They're getting involved in climate work. They're just, people are really, really involved um, in new ways this summer. And a lot of them are young and a lot of them are idealistic, which is all this new energy that we, we need. Um, what would you say to them about the work, like what kind of, what kind of advice would you give to them as they're moving forward um, post, right, of course, vote, start there. But then, you know, after November 3rd, what, what do they do next? Like what, what is the wisdom out there for the new movement makers out in Nebraska? I think one of the things that, that happens is we're, we're looking for short-term solutions. And there are some things that we can do in the short-term that will have an impact, but the Republican Party has been playing a long game. And if you look at the Supreme Court, that's a great example of it. If you look at just uh, judges around the country, that's a great example of it. And we need to start playing a long game. We need to start strategizing now for what's to come. And we need to build this broad coalition of people. And it's challenging because we are different. We come from different backgrounds, different races, different cultures, different gender identities, all kinds of stuff. Uh, the, the, the Republican Party looks a little similar sometimes as a whole. So, um, so it's a challenge. And, and what I find is that, and I, I didn't know this prior because I hadn't really been involved with the Democratic Party, but there's a lot of, a lot of infighting. There is with Republicans too, but uh, it's hard. It's hard. We're, you're not always going to please everybody. And, uh, you know, as, as, as a candidate, as a politician, you're never enough of something some people, but we have to start playing a long game. We have to start working together and, and thinking about these broader interests because we, we frankly don't have time. So people have to set their egos at the door. People have to start realizing that nobody really wins at this. Like, you know, when I ran Omaha Healthy Kids Alliance, I used to say like, nobody's erecting a statue because I, I saved some children from lead poisoning or, uh, you know, raised money for unsafe housing. Um, it wasn't about me. It was about building a coalition of people who are invested in our community and making healthier ho housing for our kids. And, and so that's how we all have to be looking at this, that, that there, there's not one winner in this, but there are a lot of losers if we don't act fast and if we don't get together and join together. And it's, it's very challenging because I think sometimes, especially when you, like when it comes to politics, we're looking for this perfect candidate. Well, what, what would that even look like? Like, what is a perfect candidate? Um, this, the system is set up to not attract perfect candidates to begin with. Mm -hmm. So, so even, so even while like, you know, there are people, I have great supporters who are fully behind me, but there people are, there's going to be times where you don't like a vote I take, of course. And, but we should be able to talk about it and I should be transparent about it. So I think for those people who are involved, it's like, play the long game, get ready. Like, you know, if you actually want to solve some problems, it, this isn't going to happen overnight, but we can do this. We have, we have the numbers, we have, we have the power to do this. And in the United States, we, we certainly have the resources to do it. I love that. Play the long game. That looks like, I mean, to me, that would look like building infrastructure with your own group, like making sure that you are have ways that you welcome new people in, that you're looking for groups with similar interests, that you find ways to be intersectional with other movements, um, and figuring out how you can be intersectional, but also stays true to your own movement. And 
yeah, I think thinking about the long game, it's there's a lot of boring stuff that you have to do if you're thinking about the long game, but it's worth Super doing. Boring. Yep. It's crazy boring. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, I was not the most popular person at cocktail parties when I would go and talk about lead poisoning. But, <laughs> I'm sure. But, um, but it's, it's work that needs to be done. And there are people who don't mind being behind the scenes and doing it. And then there are some people that like to be out in front and we need all of those people to, to do all of this. I mean, this is where we can start building a coalition. I'm, it's one of the ways I've run my campaign. I'm really proud of the endorsements that I've had from people who ran for president from John Delaney to Elizabeth Warren to Marianne Williamson, Andrew Yang, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Um, I mean, we have a broad coalition of people who support me and some people are surprised by that, but I look at it as the way we start winning. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being our very first candidate ever on the pod. We'll bring you back after you win. Um, and then you will be our first elected official on the pod. Happily. I'd be proud to be. Thank you. We'll hold your spot. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. And um, we hope that people come out. Phone bank for you at careastman.com. Uh, Go to iendorsecara.com. Eastmanforcongress.com. Eastmanforcongress. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Eastmanforcongress.com and iendorsecara.com to get your social media, Facebook selfie photos. Um, anything else? Anything else you want to add, Stephanie? All right. Thanks, so 18 days. She's, just, <laughs> she's just nodding her head in love with Kara. She's like, oh. yes, it's time. It's time. No, you guys are great. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good night. Stay healthy. Stay safe. And uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.